Imagine taking your generosity to the next level, impacting more lives and leaving a godly legacy for generations to come. Get ideas and strategies to do just that when you listen to these personal stories from high-level kingdom champions. The Kingdom Investor Podcast showcases business leaders who have moved from success to significance, sharing how they use worldly wealth for kingdom impact. Discover how they grew in generosity, impacted more lives, and built godly legacies. You'll find motivation, inspiration, and practical steps to grow as a kingdom investor. Hello, and welcome to the Kingdom Investor Podcast. This is your host, Daniel White. Thanks for joining us as we interview Mark Phillips. Mark is the founder and managing partner of 11 Tribes Ventures. 11 Tribes is a venture capital firm who empowers purpose-driven entrepreneurs to build profitably, transform communities, and avoid burnout. Mark is also an adjunct professor of finance at Wheaton College and lives in Chicago with his wife and two kids. If you have enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe and follow us on LinkedIn and then share with your friends. Without further ado, let's get right into the show. Mark Phillips, welcome to the Kingdom Investor Podcast. How are you doing today? Daniel, I'm really well. It's great to see you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to jump into your story and hear more about you. And just wanted to maybe give give us a little context about you know where you're coming to us from and what you do. Yeah, absolutely. I am here in beautiful Chicago, Illinois, more specifically the western suburbs. So a little town called Oak Brook, for those who know the area. I was born and raised here, went to Wheaton College, got my MBA from the University of Chicago. So I'm I'm kind of a Chicago guy through and through. I am the founder and managing partner of 11 Tribes Ventures. We are an early stage venture fund, obviously based here in Chicago, that is focused on the proactive support and development of our founders. And so what I mean by that is, you know, I think traditional venture capital wants to have a conversation around business models and go-to-market strategy and product, which is important, but it's only half the equation. At our firm, we actually make a financial investment into the development of what we call entrepreneurial resilience. This is helping our founders get to the finish line, Daniel, right? We think that ultimately entrepreneurship and, and the growth of an early stage venture, it's not about growth hacks and cheat codes and shortcuts. It's about doing the work, showing up significantly and consistently every single day and ultimately getting to the finish line. So we think we have a pretty unique and differentiated perspective in the marketplace. Our thesis has resonated with founders, and I've been building this firm now for about three years. So we've deployed uh, about, we've raised about $11 million, deployed about $6.5 million into seed and Series A startups. And we're in the process of raising our second fund, and we'll be raising a $40 million fund too, to continue not only deploying this unique thesis, but ultimately scaling it because we think it really needs to grow. Wonderful. So what does, what's one uh, project that you're working on right now that you're really passionate about? Well, um, obviously all of 11 tribes is the thing I care a lot about, but I think more specifically within that, um, there's a lot of focus that we've put in the last, I don't know, call it two months into the messaging of what we're doing. Um, and I want to unpack that for a moment because one of the things I'm deeply passionate about is this idea that Gospel truth, biblical wisdom, 
it isn't good for those of us who only go to church on Sunday or only have an active relationship with Jesus Christ. It's truth, right? It is objectively truth, and it is good for anyone who hears it. And so one of the things that's really caught our attention at 11 Tribes is this idea of how can we take the truth of the Bible, translate it, or perhaps convert it into a a language or into a format that is well-received by anyone who hears it, right? So it's the idea of, hey, you know what? Saying that we should build a business that is sustainable and profitable, that's biblical, right? Saying profitability is, is the parable of the, of the talents, right? The, the master tells his, his servant to go out and multiply what he has been given. That's profitability. Leading with high integrity and accountability. That's biblical. But you know what? It also makes for a great business leader. And so one of the things we're really focused on at 11 Tribes is how do we build a thesis and an offering and a set of messages for Fund 2 that are uniquely centered on biblical truth, but framed and presented in a way that can be received by anyone who hears them. Yeah, that's good. That's good. All right, Mark, would you start us out by uh, praying? And then we'll dive into just a little bit about uh, you and your story, and then uh, how this all came about. Yeah, happy to do it. Let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for another day in the marketplace. Thank you for the chance to honor you and to glorify you and to point people to you, Father. And as folks listen to this podcast, as they hear Daniel and I sharing ideas, I pray that their vision wouldn't be at us, it wouldn't be at our organizations or or our ideas, but we would be a reflection to you, Father, and that they would see you working through us. Ultimately, I pray for each person person listening to this podcast today that they wouldn't be afraid to fail, but rather that they would be afraid to succeed at the things that do not matter. Bless this time together, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. All right, Mark, share your story with us. All right, all all the way from the top. Well, it started back in 1991. No, I kid. I am 31 years old, so I'm I'm on the younger side these days. But, um, you know, I think there's a a generation of of leaders and, and business thinkers that are rejecting the kind of the old model, Daniel. And that's what I'm so thrilled to be a part of. I uh, graduated from Wheaton College. I met my wife. Her name is Emily. Um, a lot of times I'm going to say we in this podcast, and that means my team, and that means my partners. But if I think of a we, it's my wife and I. And any entrepreneurial journey, it starts and ends with your spouse. So if you're hearing this and you're thinking about doing your own thing, the best thing I can encourage you to do is go sit down with your spouse and make sure they're on board as well. So when I say we, I hope you all think of Emily. We've got two boys now. Jackson is three and a half and Hank is one and a half. And, you know, we're all a function of our priorities. And I, I, you know, first and foremost, want to be um, a disciple of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to be a good husband. And then I want to be a good father. Uh, My role as founder and partner at 11 Tribes comes forth. I graduated from Wheaton. I worked in management consulting for about four and a half years, Daniel, particularly in the mergers and acquisition space. So helping growth helping growth stage startups that were getting acquired by Fortune 500 companies. Really interesting work. Learned a ton. Learned the most, Daniel, about people. Learned that more mergers and acquisitions in the you know, public space fail because of cultural misfit. And that really stuck with me. And I saw the potential of a culture that is focused on growing a product and delighting their customers, as opposed to the potential of a culture that's focused on how do I get my own? 
and what's in it for me. And so I was on the road about 45 weeks out of the year. I knew that wasn't a good way to start a family, have a, have a marriage. And so I left, I went uh, to business school. I, I applied to and was accepted to the University of Chicago's business school, the Booth School of Business, and was thrilled to join that program. But about three months prior, I actually started to really catch this bug of entrepreneurship. I launched my own company. It was a healthcare startup in the type one diabetes space. My three-year-old nephew had been diagnosed with the disease. And while most folks that are type one use what's called a continuous glucose monitor, it's an incredible piece of technology. Everyone should use it. A lot of pediatric type ones don't like using it because it requires a pick line into the bloodstream. And so to keep a very long story short, I'm building this business through my whole first year of business school. I spent about 18 months. We're going to raise a seed round. And four days, Daniel, before we're supposed to close this seed round, Lavongo, a billion-dollar health tech company here in Chicago, actually, releases an identical product to what we were building. We had no intellectual property. We had no patents. We were dead in the water, right? And, and, and just a year too, too uh, late. So I called all of my uh, investors. I gave them the update. And within a matter of about 48 hours, they all backed out. And I was left there holding the ashes of this company. And that doesn't, listen, I don't want to over-dramatize it. I was 27 years old. Um, but it was easily the most important experience from a professional perspective that I've ever had. To experience that failure and loss at a young age, frankly, taught me more about myself, taught me more about the world of entrepreneurship and entrepreneurial strain, taught me more about the ways in which entrepreneurship can steal your identity. Than any success, any business school class, any job offer could have ever done. And so I sit here today and I'm incredibly grateful for that failure is really the only way that I can put it. And so coming through there, it really kind of catapulted me into what I'm doing today, which is this idea of, well, as an entrepreneur, there's so many things that I would have wanted. There's so many things that I would have wanted to do differently. So much more than I would have liked from a support structure perspective. And so I got into the world of venture capital. I graduated from Booth, got a job in VC. I worked at a venture fund in Chicago for about six months and was extremely disillusioned with the experience. All the things that I would have wanted, all the things that I would have hoped for weren't being offered by this firm and, and that frustrated me. And so I left, I went back into consulting with a local firm here in Chicago. My wife and I welcomed our first son, but those next two years, Daniel, were really customer discovery for me. What's out there? What are we doing in venture capital? I talked to investors and faith-driven investors and entrepreneurs and faith-driven entrepreneurs. And you know what I found was interesting. There was a, a lot of different thoughts going around, but what I felt like there was an opportunity towards was this world of how do we allocate resources? How do we actually build a business model around venture capital and around investing into entrepreneurs that promotes the development, the flourishing, and ultimately the success of the founder? And I want to be clear about what I mean there, right? Because in every startup story, there's two outcomes, Daniel. There's the business outcome. Oh, you reached unicorn status. Congratulations. You're worth a billion dollars. But there's also the founder outcome. And those two things are not correlated. I have seen some incredible business outcomes, remarkable growth, where the founder outcome is, it will, it will bring you to tears. It's horrible. It's not what anyone would wish for their worst enemy. And I've seen founder outcomes that are incredibly successful. The founder has never had a richer or more full life, not in the financial sense, but, sense, but in the relational and the spiritual sense. 
And guess what? Their business is a zero. You know what? That founder doesn't care because they are rich beyond their imagination, right? And so these were the questions. I Frankly, I didn't articulate it this well four years ago. Hopefully, it's making more sense today. But these are the questions that we want to ask. That's two sides of the same equation. And traditional venture capital doesn't solve for the founder outcome, Daniel. It doesn't. So we built 11 tribes. I, I incorporated in 2019. In 2020, May, yes, that May, I quit my job. Uh, we <laughs> quit our job. Emily and I took the leap of faith and just felt like God was saying, now's the time. You got to go. It was an opportunity. It was. It was scary as all get out, but it was an opportunity. And over the course of mid-2020 to mid-2021, we had over 650 investor calls. Um, thanks to a lot of folks in my network and uh, advisors and mentors who were connecting me, that wasn't my own doing. I can't take credit for that. That's so many people around me that said, this thing matters and it needs to exist. And through those investor calls, we raised $11 million. We've deployed that now into a portfolio of 30 companies and we're just thrilled with how it's going, um, both from a business outcome perspective, but also from a founder outcome perspective. And so I'm going to pause there. I can obviously unpack some of those details about, okay, well, what are you actually doing? What is that business model? But that's where I sit here today. And that's what I'm deeply passionate about. Yeah. So I would ask, how are you going about trying to make that change in the marketplace? Our thesis, right? So we are a industry opportunistic fund. There's a lot of industries we like, we think have strong tailwinds, whether it's healthcare, food and ag tech, uh, financial services, future of works, another one for us as well. But we aren't a vertically focused fund, Daniel. So we're not going to sort of zero in on one specific industry. We want to bring a thesis across all of those different industries. And our thesis is threefold. The first is being uniquely founder focused, which is to your question of, well, how are you bringing that change to the market? So let me unpack that in a moment. The second leg of the stool is we are focused on seed and series A investments. We really want to be the first institutional capital that an entrepreneur receives. And then the third is we are geographically strategic, targeting what we describe as competitive geographies. That's places like Chicago, Lexington, Atlanta, Nashville, Austin, Texas, tier two ecosystems, Daniel. We know we can be competitive in those geographies. We can find the best deals. And we also have an opportunity to really capitalize on what we describe as geographic price arbitrage. It's cheaper simply to build a business in Nashville than it is in San Francisco. So, you know, leg two and three, I think you can understand and appreciate, but let me unpack the first one, right? Uniquely founder focused. What does that mean? Well, as we looked at the founder outcomes, we asked ourselves, what are some things we can do to support that? The first is what we call our 2% commitment. We allocate 2% of every invested dollar directly to our founders for them to invest in their entrepreneurial resilience. We want to build resilient founders. For some folks, that's therapy and coaching. For others, it's leadership development or organizational health. Still others, it's community. I just need a group of people that are in this stage that I can be with. It's been amazing to see that come to life, Daniel. And so we, we allocate that capital. And that's radical. I share that with entrepreneurs. And their response is twofold. I've never heard another venture fund talking like this. And how do I get you onto my cap table, right? That's incredible. And our North Star there is Mark 836. What does it benefit a man if he gains the whole world yet loses his soul? So piece number one, again, we're I want everyone to keep in mind this equation of business outcomes and founder outcomes. So that's us solving for better founder outcomes. And listen, we're two years old from an investment perspective. As we mature, these stories are going to become richer and richer. But 
it's incredible to see what's already happening. I can touch on a few stories later. The business outcome side of it is part of our business model as well. We have what's called our venture partners platform. These are entrepreneurs who have built, scaled, and sold companies and are now really looking to move from success to significance. They want to train the next generation. I think we all know the type. If you're listening to this podcast and you are the type, reach out to me, right? We take our venture partners, Daniel, and we white glove, make white glove introductions between the right portfolio company and the right venture partner. So if you're a healthcare organization, we've got a woman who is the COO of the University of Chicago healthcare system for 10 years. She, her name's Carolyn Wilson. She's incredible. We pair her with that entrepreneur. She takes a seat on the board and she becomes that trusted advisor. Because as much as I want to be in a relationship with all of our founders, and we are, I'm still the one holding the money. There's still that disconnect where they're not going to give me all of the bad news. And I know that and I get that. But when I can bring that trusted advisor, when I can bring Carolyn Wilson into the equation, I think the opportunity for success and for growth is 10x. We compensate those venture partners, Daniel, with a portion of the profit that the fund is entitled to for its performance. So basically, we take 20% of the profits from any deal that, that exits. And we carve off a portion of that and allocate it directly to the venture partner. So what we're effectively doing is aligning the incentives of the founder, the incentives of the venture partner, and the incentives of the fund. And Charlie Munger likes to say, uh, show me the incentives and I'll show you the outcomes. So we think we're doing a nice job of aligning those incentives to see the success of the founder, both from a business perspective, but also from a personal perspective as well. Yeah, that's good. So tell us a little bit about Fund one, and then how that's going to launch fund two, because fund two is coming up, right? Fund two is actively happening. So fund one is a portfolio of 30 companies. Um, you know, it, venture is an interesting industry where the power law is very real. What is that power law? It suggests that 80% of the returns are going to be generated by 20% of the portfolio. We are seeing that, you know, it's an interesting time in our economic cycle. Um, folks are feeling a bit fearful. and. Again, to quote our friends at, uh, at uh, Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger, be greedy when others are fearful and fearful when others are greedy. And so we've seen our thesis working. Uh, uh, Daniel, it's really exciting to understand how potent this offering is to entrepreneurs. And as we looked six months ago and we said, okay, what's next for us? What we need to do is we need to scale. $11 million is really a proof of concept fund in the world of venture capital. You can't make the right size of bets that you really want as companies continue to grow. And so we're raising a $40 million fund too. The thesis remains largely the same. How are we investing into people? One of our taglines is healthy founders, healthy returns. It's that simple, right? And we really believe it boils down to that individual, to that founder who's disproportionately influential. So we're raising that fund to $40 million. We're just at about a quarter of that raised. Uh, we're, we're starting to scratch and sniff at a $10 million of raise, and we'll be making a first close. In the world of venture, you kind of make multiple closes. So the first close will probably be for between 10 and 15 million, another close at 20, another close at 30, and then you final close it at $40 million. So, you know, it's an interesting time to be raising. I think a lot of institutional investors are drawing back. There's a lot of fear. But what we're seeing, and this is the thing that gives us a lot of energy to wake up and keep doing this every single morning is the quality of deals in the marketplace, the quality of, of the founders and the builders that are still working, toiling to see a better tomorrow has never been stronger. And as the market resets, valuations have come down. The prices are a lot more reasonable. And so you have a, a cheaper price, less competition, more opportunity. It's a, it's a 
hotbed of opportunity right now, Daniel. And when you look at the data from 2000 to 2001, 08 and 09, during economic recessional periods, venture capital is the single best performing asset class. So I hope a lot of folks on this podcast hear that. I think venture gets a bad rap because maybe some of you have put capital into, you know, your cousin Vinny's startup where he's recreating the golf club and you probably lost all of your money. And I'm sorry about that. But the beauty of venture capital is when you can achieve diversification and get true exposure to this asset class, it outperforms private equity, it outperforms the S&P, it outperforms the NASDAQ. And I'll show you the data if you'd like to see it. So we're excited about what the opportunity is here, Daniel. And we think the next 24 months of venture investing is going to be the best vintage of the next decade. Wow, that's awesome. So what is the greatest investment you've personally ever made? And this can be financial or otherwise. Well, it's definitely not financial. Okay, good. <laughs> so I'll, I'll start there. I mean, listen, right? I mean, financially speaking, we have some companies that are doing great, right? Uh, like true, unbelievable rocket ships. But that's, I don't think I, I could be... 50, 60, 70 years old, and I'm confident that my answer would not be a financial investment. Uh, the greatest investment I've ever made is in my relationship with Jesus Christ. I think um, when I failed, Daniel, I, I have an investor in our fund who always likes to say that he doesn't invest in anyone that doesn't have a limp. A limp, right? Okay, my leg, it hurts, I'm limping. And I said, what does that mean? I've never heard anyone say that. And his what he brought to mind was the story of Jacob wrestling with God, wrestling. And I'm just so convinced that in our life, everyone is going to have that moment where they wrestle. Downward journey is another, another way that someone's described it to me. We all have that downward journey where, frankly, we have to die to ourselves. And when I was 25 or 26, whatever I was, when my company Diasense failed, I had that downward journey. and. At the bottom, I chose to invest in my relationship with Jesus. I chose to invest in understanding that my value and identity isn't tied up in my failures. It's not tied up in my successes. It's in my obedience to him each and every day. And so my investment in that has given me a foundation to be a better husband, given me a foundation to be a better father. And I promise you, had I not had that that experience, Daniel, what we're building here at 11 Tribes never would have succeeded. I promise you, right? Because I would have defined my worth by how much have I raised? Why isn't it going faster? Why are these companies not doing as well as I would have thought? And I am very certain I would have quit a long time ago. But I'm just stepping in obedience every single day. I wake up and I say, I know that he's imprinted something on my heart and in my mind, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get that done today. So I hope that wasn't a cliche answer, but it's so true. Like it is, you know, and, and so we're not a, the other thing I need to say to you is we're not a Christian VC, right? I want to make that clarification because I don't think businesses need Christian or non-Christian monikers. Everything I do is put through the lens of my faith in Jesus Christ. And so whether you call me a Christian VC or not, I'm still going to treat that founder with the exact same respect that. And, and love that Jesus treats me. So yeah, it's my, it's my investment. It's the investment of time that I make into my relationship with him. That's paid the greatest dividends and will continue to do so for years to come. All right. So I have a, another big question for you. If you could be remembered for one thing in your life, what would it be? 
I thought you were going to ask the easy questions today, Daniel. Yeah, that's not an easy one. I didn't know we were doing the hard ones. It's a legacy question. Yeah, it is a legacy question. I don't, I'm not great at legacy questions. I'm going to give it my best go, but I struggle with legacy. I'm, I'm not a, I'm more of a, like what's going on in the next three to six months kind of guy. You know, we all should, it's an important question. And I, I appreciate it because I think having a vision of where you want to end up is really how you inform and educate what you do today. So I really appreciate that question. If I could be remembered for anything, I think it's that <laughs> what I'm, what I'm, my mind is running through and I'm, I'm going to try to formulate the words in real time here. My mind is running through my priorities. Like first and foremost, I want to be remembered for um, someone that loved God and loved others. I, I want to be remembered for someone that showed up consistently and predictably and in the right ways for his wife and for his children. Uh, I've been reading a book called Intentional Fatherhood right now. And it's a really interesting concept, which is your child doesn't need you to be the father or the mother that they that you needed, right? They don't need you to be who you wish your parent had been. They need you to be who they need you to be because they are their own creation and they are their own soul. And so, you know, if my son got up at my funeral and said, hey, I want you to know that my father, like the thing that I would love him to say is he was consistent. He was consistent and he was present. And at the end of the day, he loved me. If you can have a child that says that at the end of your life, like you have been successful. That is success because the imprint that I, if he says that, the imprint I had on his heart, the imprint I've had on his soul will do so much more in the world because of the interactions he has than anything that I can do through my role as a founder or as a partner or whatever it else might be. So yeah, thank you for letting me formulate in real time. It's, I'd love to be remembered for being consistent present and loving. You know, if someone says that at your funeral, writes those words, you did something right. Yeah, that's good. All right. Now, what about vision? So what is your, what is your vision? What is the vision that God has put on your heart? Uh, whether it be for your company or just your life in general, can you share a little bit about? Yeah. I mean, I think vision is, um, I have a very clear vision which I'm really grateful for. And I think at a young age, again, I'm in my early thirties. I, I just feel like I have this vision of where I want to go and how I want to tie my family my role as a father and a husband alongside my role as a founder and a partner of this company. And that vision is really the idea that the sacred and secular divide is a lie. <laughs> Uh, what I mean by that is the marketplace. I'm, I'm passionate about the marketplace in the sense of its emissions field, right? I, I grew up in a Christian home. I went to Christian schools for many years, Wheaton College, again, Christian, of course, college and university. And one of the things that frustrated me during those conversations, and it wasn't any one person or conversation, Daniel, but it was a collective thought was, well, it's really important to do the things on Sunday and tithe and go to church and be part of a small group. Um, and that'll equip you for, you know, Mondays and Tuesdays, right? And But those two things are very different, right? Sunday and Monday, those two things don't connect. And I just see things completely opposite. And I think there's a, I think a lot of people feel this way today too, right? It's not, I'm not alone in this, of course. And I think the church is doing an incredible job, at least in my area, of preaching about Mondays from the pulpit, right? Like, how are we using the tools and the wisdom of the gospel and the Bible to go out into Monday and do better? But I want to get rid of that sacred and secular divide. I want to get rid of people thinking to themselves, you know what, I've got my philanthropic capital over here. 
this is my, you know, it's, it's, it's a zero. Like I'm not putting it into anything that's going to make more money. And I'll give that to Christian entrepreneurs. I'll give that to nonprofits. I'll give that to people overseas and missionaries. Cool. And then over here, I've got my money that I put into BlackRock. I put into Fidelity. I put into Vanguard. That's my money-making capital, right? That's important to me. And, and I just think that's, a, again, ab abolishing that sacred and secular divide, particularly in the world of investments, which is, of course, my world, is something that's so near and dear to my heart. Because I hope you've heard in my description of 11 Tribes, what we're building does both. It does both. And what's so interesting about it, Daniel, is that I think it does both better because the two things are intertwined. We have a totally different voice in the lives of our entrepreneurs that somebody that, than somebody that's coming along and, and saying, hey, we're a nonprofit. We're here to help. What's the best thing we can do for you? That's great. But I'll tell you what, an entrepreneur that's building their company isn't going to have a, that time of day. They're not going to give that person attention. And so the question that I want to continue asking and the vision I want to continue building for is in every facet of life, whether it's finance or education or uh, agriculture or you pick your space, right? Media, content uh, creation. How do we abolish that secular and that sacred divide? How is the work that we do every single day creating a world that looks more like the kingdom of heaven, but in a way that generates returns. That's my heart, man. And I am so convinced that this is what the Bible calls us to, right? It doesn't call us to say, okay, like let's hide the philanthropic money over here. And, you know, Mondays through Fridays, we'll focus on making money and then we'll come back to the philanthropic money. That is never what Jesus told us to do, right? He said, we are one person, right? You are, you are an integrated, you're an integrated human. And the things that you do, the things that are in your heart, what you care about from a kingdom perspective should be integrated through everything that you do. So again, back to our, 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 our principles, being profitable and sustainable, like that's biblical. And so not, uh, 501c3s need to continue to say, don't get me wrong. But for those of us in the marketplace, those of us that are building businesses, don't limit yourself to just one. Figure out a way to build a model to make money by doing good. That's my vision. I 11 Tribes is going to, continue to build in that way and what's really unique and exciting about where we sit daniel is that i get to bring that perspective to every single one of my portfolio founders and that is really special some will do it well others won't either way the fact that i get to share this vision that i'm really passionate about it energizes me yeah that's really good mark thanks for sharing sharing about that so before we enter the mentor minute is there anything else that you want to share with our audience Yes. So a lot of things that I want to share with your audience. Um, I uh, take a risk. Failure is not fatal. I don't know if this is me getting into the mentor minute right off the bat. I got to, you got to tell me a little bit more about that mentor minute, but failure is not fatal, Daniel. I didn't believe that early in my life and I did fail and it felt fatal. <laughs> it hurt. It hurt real good. And here I am still standing. Did not allow that failure to define me, although I got real close. And although the last four, three and a half, four years of my life have been the most unpredictable, they've been the most fraught with risk and uncertainty and lack of W-2 and all the things that entrepreneurs know so well. They have been, they have been the, you talk about the founder outcomes, they've been the most rich and fulfilling and I believe God honoring years of my life. 
And I have felt closer to God and closer to his will for my life because I disentangled myself from the comforts of the predictability. And so I hope that makes sense. I hope that resonates with your listeners, but you know, it doesn't have, don't, don't, I'm not saying everybody needs to quit their job, but I actually have a really, I need to formulate it more. I'm going to say it real quick. I actually have a theory that as Christians, we are all called to an entrepreneurial mindset. Entrepreneurial mindset. That doesn't mean that you should go quit your job and start something tomorrow. But what it does mean is we know this place that we live right now, this isn't our home. This isn't it. This isn't the final form. And so how do we approach each and every day? I, I define an entrepreneur as someone who sees the world for not what it is, but what it can be. And I think we as Christians are called to that. We're, we're called to see this world for what it can be. And that is as little as interacting with that person on the street or at that store you're at in a way that brightens their day. That makes the world not what it is, but what it can be. I think at the heart of that, uh, the essence of what an entrepreneur is, is somebody that redeems something and, and repurposes it and, and changes it for the better, right? And that's at the center of God's heart is he wants to redeem people. He wants to redeem, redeem the world to himself. And so I think that's part of our image bearing of, of our creator, right? Amen. hundred percent. It is. And, and, you know, I talk a lot about entrepreneurship, again, kind of taking biblical truth and converting it or using it in a different context, zero to one, big phrase in entrepreneurship, right? I went from zero to one. I had a professor at Booth ask me, what's the first thing we know about God, Daniel? And I stuttered. I'm not going to try to make you answer because I really botched it. And, and he was like, Mark, what does Genesis 1-1 tell us? In the beginning, God created. He wants us to know that he is a creator, right? In the same way that I love what you just said, right? We're taking things, disparate pieces, and we're redeeming them. But it's quite literally the first thing he tells, about, tells us about himself, Daniel. Isn't that powerful? Not that he loved, not that he did that. Again, all those things, of course, matter deeply, but that he created. So I love it. I think entrepreneurship is incredible. I think it's the most reflective thing on earth that we have to God's creative process in you know days one through six until he even created us, right? I think what entrepreneurs do here on earth reflects that process. And that's beautiful. Yeah, that is beautiful. All right, let's jump into the mentor minute. Who is the most influential person that you know, and how have they impacted you? The most influential person in my life, um, personally, is my father. Um, he has impacted, the number of ways he's impacted me are far too many for this conversation. Uh, but I think the simplest thing I can say is this whole vision I have for you know, disassembling the sacred and secular divide comes from my dad. He worked in corporate America, but he did in a way that honored the Lord. And... God blessed him in that way and gave him opportunities to leave a lasting impact on the marketplace. And so I saw him unwilling to compromise his values, unwilling to compromise his priorities. And so he was a present father. He was a present husband. And I've learned so much from him about what I care about and how I want to be remembered and how I go about my work in the marketplace. Yeah, that's good. All right. And then is there any book or podcast that you'd recommend for us? Yes. Where do we start? Uh, the one book we've been talking about a lot is Completing Capitalism, actually. 
I don't know uh, if uh, anyway. Have you read it, Daniel? I have not. It's incredible. It really encompasses a lot of what we've talked about here, particularly from like a venture capital perspective. The the book unpacks the idea of in the 1970s, Milton Friedman kind of defined the existing thesis of capitalism, which was maximization of financial capital, which at the moment in, in the 1970s was the most scarce form of capital. But what the book theorizes is that capitalism actually has four different types of resources, financial, human, social, and natural. And what their suggestion is, and I, I completely agree with it, this is how we approach capitalism from an 11 tribes perspective, is the ideal model of capitalism isn't the maximization of anyone. Financial creates its own problems. You know, Maximizing for social capital, that's socialism, creates its own problems. What you need to do is optimize for all four. And when you create an optimized system of all four, you actually create the most value creation within that business possible, as opposed to simply maximizing for one. So it's an optimization equation as opposed to a maximization equation. And I think we are in the throes of a transition towards that. I think it's important for everyone to read that book to understand what can capitalism be, not what has it been. Yeah, I just got the image of like a car driving down the road. And if you have three flat tires and one's inflated, it doesn't matter. Like you're not going anywhere. And a lot of the frustrations that I think we see in our, our socioeconomic world today are because of that three flat tires. That's exactly, I love that analogy. I hadn't heard of that. So that's uh read the book. It's a short one and you know, it unpacks so much of this in an incredible way in like the first 50 pages. So, you know, I'm, I'm a serial read the first half and then don't finish it book reader, Daniel. I'm, I'm coming out clean. And this one was a perfect fit for me because I got what I needed in a very short order. Okay. Sounds good. So if I, if I write a book, just put everything in the first half and then, and then please, I mean, don't you think, don't you think most books are like half? half yes. Yep. Yes. I, but I, you know, I, the question of course is if you did have it, would I still only read half? Who knows? That's, that's for us to find out, I suppose. That's right. All right. Last question in the mentor minute is what is the greatest lesson in leadership that you've learned? I'm still learning. Boy, uh, leadership is a, Leadership is a muscle that is uh, trained, not given, I believe. And uh, i that's a very generic answer. So I'm going to get a little bit more specific for you. Um, I think the single most important aspect of a leader is to lead with empathy. I just, everyone's going through something, you know? And as a leader, you're not just being called to performance. You're, you're, and you're not calling others to performance. You're calling them to relationship. You want them to trust you. You want them to, you know, go to war with you and, and lead that charge. And if they feel that you don't actually know what they're going through, what the challenges are for them, then how can they possibly be at your back? So there's so many other aspects of leadership. I think accountability and responsibility is another one. Radical accountability, right? Taking ownership and saying, hey, this situation might not have gone as well as I'd hoped it would, but that's because I did a bad job of equipping you not because you didn't perform so much of that. My, my leadership style is one of encouragement and, um, and, and really coaching, right? How can I bring the best out of you by painting a vision for what it can be, not what it is. And so everyone has to kind of have their own leadership style, but that's how I approach it. And I want people to walk away from an interaction with me as a leader and saying, wow, he just gave me the conviction and the belief that I can accomplish great things. 
And I think people are incredible. And I think for the most part, people can accomplish a lot more than what they're doing today. So that was way more than one thing, but sorry, it just all came out at once. All right, Mark, how can our listeners help you accomplish your vision? Mm-hmm. Thanks for asking that. That's really, it's timely. We have launched Fund 2. Like I said, we've raised about, about $10 million towards that goal. And one of the really unique things we've done with Fund 2, Daniel, is we've made it such that accredited investors can actually invest for as little as $12,000 per year for four years. So I hear you. I hope you hear those numbers and you think to yourself, wait a second, I can participate in a venture fund that's in early stage venture capital for that little? And the answer is yes, right? And we've spent a lot of time and a lot of legal resources getting this structure in place. It is sound and it is airtight. But what I would ask is if you've heard this podcast and you're thinking to yourself, that's exactly it. That's exactly how we need to build into every industry. Well, be a part of starting that in the world of venture capital. So my ask is this, Daniel, invest. Come alongside us financially. Um, we're going places and I think the Lord's really going to bless this thing and take it somewhere exciting. And I'd love for each and every one of your uh, uh, listeners to be a part of that journey as well. That's incredible. Yeah, I, I'm shocked. Like I haven't heard any other investment uh, organizations, you know, have that. So that's really yep. cool. Yeah, I appreciate that. It's uh, And again, the numbers I kind of shared, the way it works is, you know, people make a commitment, our minimum is $50,000. And then that capital is drawn down a quarter over uh, per year for four years. And so it's, uh, it's, it is, I mean, part of what I'm really passionate about, we didn't have time to get into it today, but is the idea of access in venture capital. It's an asset class. Most folks don't know about it because it's on the coasts and it's dominated by pension funds and endowments. But the secret that people don't know is it's one of, if not the greatest wealth creator over the last 20 years of any asset class. So get involved, listener. Be a part of this. Uh, go to our website, 11tribes.vc. On there, you'll see a little page that says invest. Fill out the form and uh, I'm going to call you. We're going to have a conversation and uh, let's talk about what we're doing and I'll answer whatever questions you might have. That sounds good, Mark. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story, being vulnerable and and you know just sharing about uh, your company and it's really exciting what you're doing and, and, uh, wanted to ask, how can we be praying for you? Pray for balance, Daniel. I, you know, there's a lot going on and it's all good. And you know, the world of entrepreneurship is such that when you do something well, it creates more work. And what I'm really keen on is taking our own medicine, you know, healthy founders, healthy returns. I need to be as healthy of a founder as any of the others that we're working with. And so Balance to be present with my wife and my children, balance to be a good leader for my team, um, and of course, balance to be uh, an obedient servant to God. So if you're willing to pray for balance for me and for rhythms in my life, that would mean an awful lot. Let's pray right now. Do it, man. God, I pray for Mark. I pray that you would uh, you would guide him and his family. Lord, I pray that you would help him to seek you. Uh, fully that everything that he does would be uh, rooted in serving you, glorifying you, and living out um, his walk with you. God, I thank you for everything that you've shown him, that you've developed in him. I thank you for his leadership and for uh, everything that he's doing to redeem the world and redeem uh, venture capital. Lord, I pray that you would 
help our, us and our listeners to really think about how we can serve you through the marketplace and through our investing. Uh, we love you and we pray that you would uh, be glorified. Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Daniel. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you guys for listening to another episode of the Kingdom Investor Podcast. What if you could take your generosity to the next level, impacting more lives in your community and around the world, creating a godly legacy for generations to come? Now you can. Your first step is crafting your kingdom investing thesis. Reserve your spot in our next online workshop where we guide you through the process of discovering your passions, create a strategic plan, and connect you to opportunities that will help you fulfill your God-given calling as a kingdom investor. Register today by clicking the link in the show notes. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you next time for another episode of the Kingdom Investor Podcast.